We must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show. You had mentioned some of this earlier, but I'm kind of curious to just kind of hear, what's your future long-term plan, and what are some things that you're working on now that you're working to overcome with just development in the business? I think that's a great question. Um, I think a really important point about my journey is I've been doing one-on-one services for two years. I started to build this somewhat quasi-agency, you know, where a, a vision that at that point was, oh, I'll just like, we'll just be a course machine and people will hire us and I'll just keep hiring people to do the work or something. That was like the, the vision. And that could be helpful, but it wasn't my ideal business. It wasn't how I showed up in my zone of genius, like I mentioned, where I wasn't teaching. And so I was like, what would it look like if that's what I did every day? Like I taught. Um, And uh, what if that was my main income stream? What would that look like? And so um, that transition has been happening this year. And so we're done doing one-on-one services from the perspective of like, you came to me and I designed the course for you. We used to do that, like full build out. Um, And so now we do have one, one service that we do that's one on like one-on-one, but it's, it's um, we do audits of courses. So all your material is done. You send it to us, login information, whatever. And we basically create an outline of, of ideas and ways you can make it better, how to improve it. And we catch anything that we think would be valuable to ways to add value to your course. So that audit though is done by my team. Um, some people pay for a call with me where we brainstorm from that document and other people just take that document and go. And so that's it. And that feels great to me because I could hop on a call and talk about what your course will look like all day. It's the management from, you know, zero to full-blown course and all the things that happen have to happen in between that just leaves me just like blah. And so we got rid of it. And it was scary because it was the main income stream for me. Um, and you're not sure, like, just like all my students ha- talk about, I'm not sure if anyone's going to want my thing. Um, but I do feel like I have this really revolutionary way of creating courses online as a, you know, an ex professor, people are kind of like, oh, well, I never thought about it like that. So, you know, my background lends to this different angle and how people are teaching online right now. So, um, the future of my business and where we're at right now is we are, uh, in the process of launching a masterclass funnel, which will consistently sell my course product product while I'm sleeping and all of that, which I used to think was the grossest way to sell online ever. 
And I actually decided that it would be smart for me to reflip that model and actually show people what it's like to continuously welcome in new students and be able to take care of them. So you come in and you're two days into the class and you're and then there's Bobby who's like three months in. Can I still teach all of them and show up for them and support them? And yes, you can. And that's something that I think is um, in this industry not done well yet. So can you have thousands of students can, that can be taken care of? What does that look like? Um, you know, and so I kind of want to conquer that. So as far as growth goes for me, it's scary because I'm not sure. <laughs> but I also see that by me doing this, I can actually have an impact on um, how big courses are run. And like we call this evergreen in this space where it's like it's just running all the time. There isn't a terminal date end date like a semester, for example. It's just my students are just in there and some people are on the first module and some people are at the end and we're still in the same classroom so what does it look like to take care of them and that's where i'm kind of pushing boundaries at right now and then i mean academics mean business is something that i'm exploring as well like what it, how do they need different help potentially than my bigger audience around courses i do think a lot of them are going to want courses so i definitely see there's overlap but I, I'm thinking more along the lines of what my podcast is. Like, how do we start a business? Um, how could I help PhD students or adjuncts, like part-timers who um, are maybe struggling financially or are at that stage where they're making that decision? Like, could I help them? And so I'm in those early stages of thinking about that, um, but also unattached to the outcome and recognizing that um, this journey is actually part of that, I think, to be able to help them. So, um, so. You know, I do have a small membership site uh, right now that's kind of in beta mode and we're playing around with these ideas. Like what what do academics who are working right now and doing their a side gig, what do they need support around? Um, and so that will be relaunching next year. We haven't set a date or anything, but that that's something I'm working on with academics as well. Very cool, very yeah. cool. And to be Thanks. frank, by the time this is probably published because we have so much content to put yeah. out. It honestly might be out by that time. Oh, right? cool. Well, that would be so, awesome. We'll link below. Yeah. Because I didn't tell you this, but we have like 40 episodes. Like if we, oh, good if, for you guys. If, if we quit doing any live interviews today and we release one a week, we would be able to last until the end of June. That's amazing. Good oh. for you. I mean, it's been a long, it's been, I mean, no in some ways, that. no, in some ways it was good. In some ways it was like, why did we do this? But, mm. <laughs> but, but in the end it all worked out good. But have you guys you know, thought about releasing multiple a week? We have, but I think we have to really finalize our system on how we yeah. get that a little bit. So I don't think we're ready for that model. To yet. make sure it's sustainable. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I just don't think we're there yet. We're getting there though. Yeah, but, does wonders for downloads. I'm I know, right? doing that. Yeah, yeah. It's Maybe been doing like 15 minute episodes and stuff too. Yeah, that's something another. we want to get into too because mm -hmm. honestly we did because we had a conference that was in October that was where a lot of our audience was. So we wanted to put out some of these bigger names beforehand to kind of foreshadow and Smart. then have a big name at the conference like during the weekend. So when people would find to find out about it, they could just look up They'd our first download. They'd be like, whoa, download. yeah, right. cool. They'd see our first download and be like, oh, you have that Smart. person on? Oh, interesting. So I realized then too, like after I kind of went down to one a week, I mean, we didn't have a drastic lower download, but you're like, oh, that's definitely lower. Yeah. But I mean, I guess I can't be so surprised because, you know, I went from two a week to one a week. So, I mean, I guess yeah. it, kind of, it kind of makes sense for that. <laughs> totally. And that's something we've kind of looked at too, is like now we want to do 
one a week with a guest, but now what we want to start doing is one a week with us. Solo. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Doing some avenue, something that's different, like something that each of the hosts can do because we yeah. all have a unique skill set. We all have totally. different perspective, which is mm-hmm. super valuable. So mm-hmm. now it's a matter of getting ourselves more out there and starting yeah. to contribute. And that's, I'll be honest, for me, that's kind of scary. It is. I hear you. But it's, it's one of those, like, you know, I've done this with the start of podcasting. It was scary initially. I listened yep. back to our first episodes. I'm like, oh my gosh, how could I sound like that? Like, I actually released this? Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but, right. and I'm like, oh man. But now it's like, okay, it worked. It you got can do it with somewhere. your eyes closed, really. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I feel like I can do it better. <laughs> I, I definitely can't say that. Um, but definitely, I, I mean, there's definitely still stuff I can improve on. And that's stuff we all push each other for. Yeah. Always try to push each other to make better. And you know, it's interesting when you edit, like something, I don't think people know this too much about editing or like people, I don't think people realize that the editor knows all your verbal habits. Everything. (laughs) They know everything. So who is the best person to give you feedback is probably the editor. Probably the editor. That's actually a really good point. My, I mean, my husband was editing, right? So he would batch them and listen to me for hours. And then he'd he'd hear me talk. He's like, I can't hear you talk right now. I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, and um, yeah, so it's funny because I I couldn't even imagine like he knows like, yeah, idiosyncrasies about like the guests and like things I've said. And I'm like, because I, people ask me, do I listen back to my podcast sometimes? But I'm not a big podcast listener right now. I haven't really Mm -hmm. carved space for myself. I don't commute, which is when I used, I used to listen to a ton. Um, But now I just don't. And so what happens is, is I just do the conversation. I totally forget. It's like I'm hanging out with them and having coffee. And then it's like, oh, I actually don't even know what I said because like, I'm not thinking about it as like this, I'm creating content. I'm just talking. And so, you know, I remember bits of it, but I don't really remember details. I like to listen back when I'm a guest though, because I, I feel like that's a little bit different. Like I'm in a different position. I don't know, but I don't tend to listen to my own podcast. Do you listen to yours? I'm, I think you and I are totally flipped. Like I can't stand listening when I'm a guest because I'm just like, Oh, why were you thinking to say that? You know, and I just always pick that apart, but I, but I, but I can listen to the other ones better. And I think part of it is because I can control it with the editing too. Ah, like, yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't, I can't think that's all of the questions, right? You're in charge. You're like leading. Right. I mean, seriously, I do. I do think that's a big part of it. So that's, it's just, that's interesting how we're so different on that. But, that's I, funny. but I see it from your point of view, though. Yeah. I think that's, that's really interesting. And I realized I probably should have asked this a while back. So say, for example, I know we've been talking a lot about people that within academia, and they kind of want to test the waters and kind of get into the ne- next avenue, whether that be business or whatever their other avenue drives them to make another income or whatever they want to do. But let's back up and hit a different crowd here for a second. Okay. So let's say that, you know, we got someone who's wanting to go into education. So they mm, want to pursue okay. something within academia. You know, obviously we were kind of talking in the pre-show about how there are differences between local colleges, but then also Mm -hmm. certain universities. What would you say overall, just to kind of give our listeners kind of those maybe potential educators some context, what are some of the pros and cons with each kind of those settings there to kind of help them make the best decision? Oh, about going in to be a teacher or professor at those levels? Yes. Yeah. Um, So to me, I would think about your level of research, like how much you enjoy doing research and making that a part of your job. Um, You know, as you're studying right now, like, do you love that kind of 
do you love that angle of of that work of being an academic? So the research, I think, is important um, to consider because the you know if you're at an R one institution, um, it's obviously almost the central piece. And so I think you know, and that comes with a lot of prestige, and that's also a, a driver for some people. Um, and you know, I had a, I've had a lot of guests who work with academics about how to get those you know jobs or how to be the you know how to write regularly because it is it is tough it is tough to manage that um, and then you know getting grants and all that stuff so it's just a different ballgame at those levels and um, at the state school I mean research is also still very important and so it it does take up a chunk of your time. Um, at the community college is where things do start to shift. And that's where I um, knew I wanted to be. Um, I actually have a master's in sociology. So uh, that's what allows me to teach sociology at the community college level. I actually don't have a PhD in sociology. I knew, I learned that I wanted to teach at the community college level when I was getting my master's actually. I didn't even know that was an option. And when I heard about it, I was like, oh, this is really cool. <laughs> um, and it's really what I like about teaching at the community college is it really it's a lot. It's a range of abilities and ages and backgrounds because it's an open institution, because, um, you know, on paper, they accept anyone. It doesn't matter. You don't have to get in. So um, it to me is a very, you know, it's probably one of the like most important democratic, you know, arms of our society is like if if we believe that education um, empowers people and moves them up in society um, then it should be available to people so i was really moved by that um, and so my dissertation is actually written about teaching specifically at the community college and um and in the classroom there but yeah i so if you're really into teaching and you love your discipline in a way that is like i i love passing on this to my students um then the community college is like it can't be overlooked from that perspective if that's what gives you life and it's not the research part but the research part is is optional you there are there were colleagues i had that definitely were publishing and i probably would have if i move if i went through later i mean i again was only tenure track for a you know, just under two years or just about two years. So um, who knows what I would have done not in my early stage career. But for me, it was getting really organized and in place in my institution. So I was really focused on serving and being on committees and, you know, how could I be a better teacher kind of stuff. Um, but it's it's a great it's a great uh, system to be a part of. And California is like one of like one of the better ones in the state um, or in the country. And so I was proud of that. And there's some really great educators in the California system. So, um, yeah, I, I personally think it's a great gig. Um, it, it's it probably doesn't pay as well at some levels. I mean, I know uh, women don't tend to get paid as, as high as men in, in some of the higher institutions. But at the community college, we're on salary schedules. Um, so, you know, you know, it's not because of how you have bigger research is, is how much they're paying to have this like famous academic at their school. It's not like that. It's it's um, it is a, a, a you know, a, a scaled salary. It, it is similar to high school. Like the when you think about it from the union perspective, we have pretty strong unions as well. And we're similar to K through 12 from the union perspective. But um, but obviously a little bit different since we're community colleges and the way our budgets work and stuff like that. So, um, you know, comparatively, I, I, I always found that the community college just was a great place to be. I felt like we had less 
of the, some of the stresses that I felt that some of the academics had at the state and university levels, I, at least from my perspective. So that the pros, I think, far outweigh what I, the cons, you know, you don't get as much prestige. It's like it's a community college. It's a it's usually a stepping stone for a lot of students. So they're like, oh, the community college, like, oh, I'm here because I can't wait to get into Berkeley or again. Right. And so but it's what's interesting about that is is like the population that you're serving. And so it's really cool to get students to really to see them start to think about their education in a different way and to really like grow up there. Um, and it's actually to be, to be true, like truthful, like, cause I did research on this, like um, it's becoming the mainstream way that people are getting an education. It's just under like 50% of the population currently in a college is at a community college. Um, and the recession has a big part to that and the rising yeah. costs. So oh, it's yeah. such a, great place for people to get a really good education and save some money before deciding what four year to get the terminal degree at. And so um, I think that that's a really important position um, for us. And uh, it does mean that some of the students there are like trying to figure things out, but um, that also means you can really serve them in a different way. Sometimes at the college level, like some of the downsides, I mean, I was a TA at San Diego State, I, you know, a lot of them are there and they're just like, oh, I'm here to party. I'm like, I'm, I got into San Diego State and I'm like 19 and like, I'm, you know, I'm, this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, and there's an error, like obviously of entitlement and privilege tied into that, like being at a state school and living in the dorms and all of that. And I did the same experience and I loved it. So I'm not saying that it's not um, an amazing experience as well, but that does translate differently in the classroom setting um, about who's in those chairs and why they're there and like what their goals are and what they're dealing with at home or like what their, yeah, their other reality looks like outside of your classroom, which is so important for a teacher to know. So community college, like people have multiple jobs, they have families, um, they're coming back to school after being gone for 30 years. I mean, there's so many different um, which I just loved. It created such a beautiful, diverse experience in teaching sociology, of course. It's such a central piece uh, to, to what I taught. So I just ate it up. I loved it. That's interesting. As I think yeah. that's a really powerful message for all potential educators to hear is because, you know, I think that when we tend to think of academia, we tend to think of that strict research base. Yeah. It's yep. just that. And, and I think you bring a good point that there's definitely other avenues and there's good things that you can do apart from that. So I think, like you said, kind of knowing yourself and kind of seeing these are the pros and cons with each, which one resonates with you the best mm -hmm. and then tiptoe in and see what you'll think. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, quick advice on like getting a job at the community college, they care a lot about your teaching background. So um, not that they don't at the state school or, um, you know, the university level, they that they want to see experience. So if you haven't been in a classroom or you're not TAing or you're not like actively pursuing like that that they're going to question that like they because it's like that's what they care about is teaching mm -hmm. and so um it's really important to really put in that uh that's the that's basically what they value and that's gotcha. important to know yeah that's a really good point no i think that's a really good point that's i don't think that's when we formally have heard yet so i i love that when i always hear something new on here i love it mm -hmm. so Lindsay, i gotta admit this has been 
a really good chat. I think like my Yay. mind has blown blown at least five times, but good. Uh, well, that's to... all I can do. Yeah, right. <laughs> but <laughs> that was the max. That was my goal. So that was your max, awesome. just five, and you somehow just managed to just read my mind exactly. Weird, right? I know, right? But we normally ask one final question to sure. every single guest, and it's kind of our big cheese finale question. <laughs> And, you know, I'm curious just because you're someone who's outside the healthcare education realm. So the question is, if you could change one aspect of higher education, which aspect would you change and how would you change it? Oh, I have so many. I've, oh, God, I haven't thought about this in a long time. Um, I have like a really good answer. For this, I feel like. <laughs> Wait for but, it. Drum roll, yeah, drum roll, drum roll. Um, <laughs> Oh, 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 this is maybe an easy question, but if I could do this, it would just be like, that would be the best thing ever. Probably lots of people have said it, but it should be free, like hands down. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, I, as somebody who studied education and studied, uh, obviously, systems and societies and sociology, like it, we created the public education system in the United States a long time ago, and we were a model and the labor market you know, responded to that. And, and it used to be enough that high school degrees uh, got you a, a job and the knowledge that you needed to carry out that job and have a career and be able to take care of your family. And in the knowledge economy that is constantly changing, even more than when I was graduating, um, then we're basically pricing people out from being able to move up in society at all. And so what we're doing is we're putting people in debt to be yeah. able to uh, make a living. And in, in many cases, and we could even talk about that, I mean, it's gotten so bad that that, that isn't even help. Like it isn't even making a living. Um, you know, there's many professors I know that like are on food stamps and welfare and like yeah. they're not making it. So if there's a fundamental problem when the you can't, even educate your population to be able to get uh, decent jobs. And so the standard of living, the cost of living has gone up so much that unfortunately our education is not meeting it. And it's all about uh, loans or, you know, obviously what economic privilege you might come back from. Those are the people who get to benefit from this. And so it should be free. It should, it's, we're at a point where we should be like, we should be funding this and people should not have to go into debt to get that, those four years. And, um, going past that is a different scenario. And, and, um, but if we, you know, really believe that college puts people at the level of skills that they need to be able to be a competitive employee in a work in, or an, an, a laborer in the market, like then uh, it shouldn't cost for them to be able to attain that. Not right now. And that, and that level of salary and living, uh, unfortunately just isn't meeting what, yeah. uh, you know, what it takes to live here. So that's a fundamental problem. And, um, and yeah, I mean, there are countries that do it and they're doing it well. And there are states mm -hmm. that are starting to make community college and cities that are starting to make community college free. Um, and so we can subsidize it a thousand percent. And so we should. <laughs> yeah, no. And I think it's interesting because honestly, this answer is by far the number one most common. I bet. Cost. Yeah. Yeah. cost. And then number two is probably since it's more healthcare related, definitely more updated curriculum is probably number two. 
Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then three would have to probably be interprofessional, more interprofessional education opportunities. Yeah. Um, and we've gotten a cool. wide variety too. So I don't want to just say those are the only three. I knew not- mine was going to be, I'm like, it's an easy answer that I like actually like so quickly. It's like, you know, cause I also walking into this entrepreneur space, there is people that are, think I'm crazy. Like, why would you have done what you did? Um, and I went into six figures of debt um, in this process, which I didn't talk about. And, um, and so why why would I do that if this job that I got, I'm not even doing anymore? Do you regret it? And it's like, it's not the education itself and it's not the actual terminal degree either. And in fact, it actually devalues what PhDs and doctoral students and people who like have advanced degrees and trainings, it devalues the work that we, we chose to do. So like, I part of me is like, it's not college that's the problem. It's not knowledge itself. Yes, there's some ways that we're teaching it that can be a little archaic and it might not be as open to like creative, um, you know, and, and ways that maybe stimulate our kids if we get into that. But it is important. So it can be molded and change. And so in the, in the entrepreneur space, they're like, you don't need a degree anymore. Everyone can be a freelancer. And I'm this like really important bridge that's like, let's pause for a second. Like not everyone wants to just become an Instagram influencer. Like (laughs) some people like want to do like, you know, some of the works that their parents did and that's okay. And so I, I'm in this space where I'm constantly defending college education um, and just reframing and being like cost aside. It is important what happens there. It really is. And so we can, we can change it a little bit. We can like adjust it, but like, don't conflate that as being, take it and throw it completely away. Right. Don't throw the baby out with the bath, bath water. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good so, point. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, this has been awesome. And I know Yay. there's probably a lot of people that are listening to this episode and they're like, I got to check out this podcast. I got to check out, <laughs> please do. I, I got to check out Lindsay. So if our listeners are out there, where can they kind of look in to find out more about you or about your podcast and kind of what, what you do? Yeah, I think I hang out a lot on Instagram right now. If you want to get to know me personally, you're like, who's this lady? How's she running her business? Instagram stories has been fun. Just behind the scenes stuff. Like, you know, I I just like building relationships there. So that's like the behind the scenes. Um, I have a Facebook page. I'm pretty active on Facebook. Um, and academics mean business as of right now comes out of Dr. Lindsay Padilla, like the business page. And so I, I do both course creation and podcast, um, posting and stuff around that. So, um, and the academic mean business podcast, if, if this is interesting and you know, you're like, you totally resonate and like, that's me. Uh, we do have a Facebook community as well around the podcast and I'm starting to do some, um, revamping of, of content for that around having meetups and coffee chats just because we like talking about things weird. So, um, (laughs) so we're, we're starting to do a lot more of that. I do at least a monthly coffee chat and I want to start bringing guests in there and, and that kind of thing to just really build community because I think we are stronger with our knowledge together. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I would say that would be a fun place to hang out too and get to know other people that might be thinking similar things as you. Yeah, I love it. And if you guys are curious, just go ahead and scroll down the show notes. The link will, to all that stuff will be there so you guys can check it out. Um, awesome. But again, Lindsay, again, thanks so much for coming on and for all that you do. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. I'm excited. And thank you for all you do as well. Thank you so much for having me on and for Karen for introducing us. I love it. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare 
A telehealth platform is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare, which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.